Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Regardless where you work or what your level of responsibility, everyone has to have a tough conversation sometimes, whether that's from finding the courage to ask for a raise, to saying no to a colleague or to a manager, or to dealing with a difficult peer. And I can tell you that in my training sessions and in my speaking engagements and in my coaching sessions, this is probably one of the top one, top two topics that people ask about, how do I have that difficult conversation? So that's the subject for today. And my guest is Roberta Matoson. She's a professional speaker, thought leader on talent, and an international best-selling author. And she's got an active follower base of over 250,000 business professionals on LinkedIn. We should have her talk about how to do that one as well. She's a highly sought-after expert who helps leaders in Fortune's 500 companies, including Best Buy, GM, Microsoft, just to name a few, some mid-sized businesses as well, achieve dramatic growth and market leadership through the maximization of talent. And her book that we're talking about today, Can We Talk? The Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Conversations at Work. It's frequently featured and quoted in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Boston Globe, Bloomberg Business Week, and of course is in LinkedIn, top voice in the workplace and leadership. So, and we could go on. Roberta, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you here. So, Roberta, what got you started on this work about Can We Talk? What were you seeing and why does this all matter to you? Well, like you, I do a lot of executive coaching. And what I noticed was a pattern. And that was a lot of people, a lot of my clients avoiding conversations. And it wasn't that they didn't know what to say. They just really didn't want to confront people. And I think they were going more for the being loved syndrome. You know, they wanted Mm -hmm. to be loved um, rather than respected. And so we've had a lot of conversations on the importance of having these, you know, tough conversations and how they can benefit the relationships that you have at work. I talk to a lot of managers and leaders who think they've had the conversation. But when I go behind the scenes and investigate what was heard, it is often a tiny subset about the intention. It's often delivered in coded language. Um, Let's see, the one I heard recently is you have to be more (laughs) hawk-like. I know that I know the person selling that has actually real meaning. I understand that. But, you know, it's often hard to understand what the messages are sometimes. Do you see the same thing that we soft pedal the messages so much that they lose their emphasis? Absolutely. In fact, this even goes on all the way up to the top of the organization. Um, In Can We Talk, I uh, have spotlighted a client of mine who is the CEO of hospital. And he shares with our readers a conversation that he had with an executive. And he thought he was being crystal clear, my client did, and uh, what he said and what the executive heard were two completely different things. And 
he failed to confirm what he had said, like, okay, what did you hear me say? Mm -hmm. And as a result, I mean, the relationship went from bad to worse. Mm -hmm. And he wound up having to let the guy go. And to this day, you know, he, you know, shared with me, if I had handled it different, differently, you know, it could have had a very different outcome. Right. I can see that one. All right. So let's get some language in place. What do you mean by difficult conversations? I gave some previews of what I was thinking about, but what sort of conversations? And then I'm going to ask the second question. Why are they difficult? They're the conversations that you don't want to have. So for example, you know, I'm from New York and I'm, I can take on pretty much any kind of conversation, but that doesn't mean that somebody who is from another part of the country is comfortable doing that. And so it's really how you personally define what a difficult conversation is, as opposed to me just giving you like a blank statement, because it does vary. Right. So it's a conversation I don't want to have. I know I need to have, I should have, or some version of that, and I don't want to have. Now, in your experience, what makes it difficult for people? Why the label difficult on it? Well, in my experience, a lot of people don't like conflict, and they'll do anything to avoid conflict. And what winds up happening is they often think that, well, you know, if I just pretend it's not happening, it will go away, right? <laughs> or, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll settle over time. And, and as you and I both know, rarely does that ever happen. Mm-hmm. So those are cases when I have to confront somebody, let's say, on their behavior or have to give them a piece of feedback about something they're doing that isn't working very well or a style that isn't working very well for me. Those are kind of the more interpersonal conflicts. Why is it that some people have so much trouble when it comes to asking for a raise or talking about promotion? That's a great question. Um, That really comes down to, for me, self-esteem. Right. So and that comes down to confidence, like, you know, thinking, well, you know, why would anybody give me a raise or maybe I'm not as good as I think I am or maybe I don't deserve this. And and I'm sure you've seen the studies um, that McKinsey did on the differences between men and women getting promotions. And, um, you know, women typically will wait until they're almost 100 percent ready. And men, they're like 70 percent there and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to apply. I, I mean, they say they want 10 years experience. I have six. That's close. And so, you know, we see that those gender differences that men are willing to, in many cases, just like let it rip, right? And meanwhile, you know, many women are just trying to put all the pieces into place. Mm-hmm. And by then, the promotion's gone. It, right. it goes to your coworker. Right. Uh- I talk to a lot of women who say that they don't ask for the raise or promotion because they believe that their bosses and bosses' bosses should know that they want it. I mean, why do you think I'm working so hard? Of course you know it. I can't tell you how many times I've had to say, no, go ask. Go tell them you're ready. Go say this. Do you see the same thing? Absolutely. And I have to say... You know, I'm hoping that the next generation will be different. And I say that because I have a daughter who's 20, 21 years old. And when she was uh, 18 and working as a hostess at a restaurant, she came to me and she said, Mom, you know, I don't think I'm getting paid enough. I'm going to ask for a raise. And so, you know, I coached her through the process. And what happened was startling to her. Uh, 
her boss actually thanked her and said she was so proud of her for asking for a raise. And it was a female boss. And not only did she get the raise she asked for, but she got more money than she even wanted. And that was a valuable lesson to learn at 18. It's really valuable. Let's hope the younger generation is solving this problem a bit. I know Deborah Kolb's research says that women are much less likely to ask for a little bit more money, particularly when they're recruiting for a job, and that we can identify some of the pay discrepancies based on not having asked for that $1,000, $2,000 difference at the beginning, especially when raises are so lockstep in the early years. Yeah, and it makes a huge difference, right? The difference between starting out at, you know, 40000 a year and 45000 a year. I mean, that's huge. As you compound that over time, that does tend to mount up. I also know that there are some men that hesitate to ask. I have coached some of them. And my hypothesis, I'd love to know what you think about this, is that we're more hesitant to ask when we don't have a strong working relationship where we don't feel like we're in the club, if you will, that you feel a little bit outside, that that makes it a little harder for you to ask. What's your perspective? I think there's a lot of validity to that. Um, I also think that they're not asking because they're not 100% sure, like, you know, well, what have I done lately? What, What have I... Have I really thought about how I've added value to this organization and, you know, why is the timing, right? Why is now the time I should be asking? And so, and and oftentimes they'll have a coworker say, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. Well, maybe they didn't do it really well, so it didn't work. Okay. All right. So let's talk about this one because it is, and it's the question I dislike more than anything. How do I ask for a raise? But boy, do I get it a whole lot of time. So using your principles of how to have a difficult conversation, how do you recommend people ask for a raise? Well, I think there's a couple of things you have to consider before doing so. And the first and foremost is timing. So if your company just announced their quarterly numbers and those numbers were not very favorable, Uh, Going in and asking for a raise when your company just told the market that they lost a trillion dollars, probably not going to be the right timing for that. So what I recommend you do is you look for those opportunities where, you know, you added a lot of value to the organization. You had a big win and your boss is like, that's awesome. You did a great job. That's the time you want to ask, right? And you want to be really specific about why you feel you deserve that raise. And it's not just because, well, you know, John just got a raise. I should get a raise. It's like, well, what have you done that is deserving of that additional compensation? Okay. So I do the timing. And one of the timing is, as you rightly said, is quarterly announcements. But there are also timings of what's the cycle in our company of when we do raises or bonuses for that matter. And being out of cycle has all sorts of consequences and a lot of work. I wouldn't say don't, but it has consequences. So think through those carefully. And then you say you come with your arguments about why you think you deserve it. And you do it at a time when you have just had a really big win. Okay. Any other tips on how to frame this on what to say? Yes. I mean, I want to go back to timing. You know, we are seeing like, you know, people resigning left and right. Well, let's just say that a coworker just resigned and your boss is going to rework the department and he's giving you more responsibility. And so your job has changed. It's not the job you were really hired for. Yet the company hasn't gone through the formal, you know, job evaluation process. 
this would be a good time since you maybe are doing the work of two people to ask. Um, you know, this you're asking me to do, this isn't a junior level job anymore. What compensation are you offering me? And, mm-hmm. and just put it out on the table and do your homework. So, you know, wages are moving so rapidly right now that even if you did your homework <clears throat> a year ago, and you know, like, this is what the pay range is for my job. It's changed so much that you need to keep doing your homework and know this is what I should be making. You cannot sit there and expect that your company is going to do the research for you. Right. Okay. So on that one, how do you recommend people do the homework? I get asked this question all the time, and I don't have good answers for it. Well, I do. Good. How do we do <laughs> I, the homework? I tell them to go to salary.com. Um, it's a free resource that you can use to, you know, look up salaries in your geographic area. I suggest that they go onto um, Glassdoor, where there's a lot of salary data there. And my favorite uh, way to find out what you should be making is to reach out to a headhunter. And when you do so, there is a caveat, right? And that is headhunters, when they place you, they make money. So they're probably going to tell you, oh, yeah, you really should be like making a lot more. And this is the number. And maybe it is and maybe it's not. But if you dial that information and compare it to the other research you've done, you should have a pretty good ballpark figure of where you should be right now in the marketplace. Okay. So salary.com, Glassdoor, and a headhunter with a caveat that headhunters are going to tend to inflate it a little bit in order to be able to move you. So sort of back off by that one. I usually say 25%. I don't know if that's the number you use, but kind of a, that's a ballpark I find people are willing to move for. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, if they can get you a 25% raise, you should think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I lose track of how fast the market is moving. Okay. So let's say I have just taken on the work of two people. And it's never 100% two people because some things are taken off the plate and given to somewhere else, but it's still a heck of a lot more than what I was doing and what I was hired for. I go into my boss and I say, look, um, I'm happy to make this contribution, but what is the offer in compensation for me for the additional work that I'm putting on? Now, I like your phrasing of that because it's not a, can I get a raise, which is a yes, no, and then it's too easy to say no. It's uh, something they have to put an offer on the table to say, what are you offering? Which I like. I think that's a cleverer way to ask. And the boss says to me and say, Wanda, uh, now is not a good time, but, you know, do this and let's reevaluate. Now what? Well, when would be a good time? (laughs) (laughs) So to get some commitment. Right. Mm -hmm. When would be a good time? And. Something else that I think is really important, um, compensation isn't just about money. It's about asking for things like, you know, hey, I'd really love an extra week of vacation time. And even if you ask for an extra week of unpaid vacation, rarely have I ever seen a company for an exempt employee actually go in and dock you for a week, right? And so you can ask for extra vacation time. Um, You can ask for more flexibility as far as working from home. Like there are other things you can ask for. You can ask, well, if you can't give me a raise, can you give me a promotion? You know, Mm -hmm. can we reevaluate this job so that I'm in a higher category, which means that my pay would go up? Right. 
So keeping the questions out of the yes, no, keeping a commitment to when, in what process, what do you need to see before you would reevaluate, kind of get some actions on the table and then follow up with those. Is that fair? Yes, that's great summary. Okay. All right. Um, is there any difference if I'm asking for promotion? Let's say I now want, I want to move up the next level. Any tricks on asking for that? Yes. I, I think it's really important if you're even thinking about asking for promotion is to ask your boss, you know, what do I need? What am I not doing? Or what do I need to be doing that would make me the obvious choice for the next promotion that comes around? Because you don't want to hear, um, you know, a year later, well, you know, you don't have an MBA and Lori's working on her MBA and you're like, man, if I knew I needed to do that, I would have started my MBA a year ago. So mm-hmm. you want to know, like, what is it that you're going to be looking for? Are there any skills that I don't have that I can gather now? So when the time comes, I am ready to go. Right. One of my favorite questions is before you think you're ready for that promotion, even a year before that or two years before that, I like to ask leaders, managers, what the ideal candidate looks like. So when there's a perfect candidate, you know, when it's everybody is a shoe in and it's an easy, what distinguishes that person? Because what you want to do is not just, yeah, you're ready, but you want to be in the top of the league of who's ready. Yes. And, and, you know, building on that right now, I'm coaching a woman who was just promoted about two months ago and she's up for another promotion. And, um, she sent me the job description. I said, send me the job description. I, I want to look at it. I'm telling you, if I had an apple for every time the word collaboration was in that job description, I would have an orchard. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd be completely full. And so and when she was interviewing, you know, she, she's bringing up the fact that she works very collaboratively, right? Because it's in that job description 15, 20 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, See if you can get a hold of the job description of the job that you're looking to um, move into so that you know what, what the job entails and what they're looking for. What they're looking for. The secret being what's the one thing that they're really looking for. All right. Let's turn the tables on this one. And I promise we'll get to some conversations other than promotions and raises. I just know that's on so many people's minds. Suppose I'm though the manager now and I'm going to go and tell somebody that they're not getting that raise or that promotion that they want, or perhaps even that I fought to get for them. Any advice on how to deliver that message? Yes, very honestly. And, you know, be very transparent. And, you know, you have to own the message. So you can't say, well, our boss said you can't have, or the company, I love this one, the company says that you can't have a raise. I'm like looking around, like, who is the company? Like, you have to own it. Like, you know, I, you know, I went for the approval. I wasn't successful. I know you're disappointed. I'm disappointed as well. Let's talk about what we can do to, you know, give you some extra responsibility so that you're ready to move into a different role where there will be a pay increase. You know, and so you have to just sort of have that kind of a conversation or say, yeah, you know, I couldn't get you that raise, but I'll tell you, I know how important your education is. And I was able to get our boss to approve um, you attending that conference you've been asking me about. So, so try as to a win or two. Yeah, all right. To have something to offer and counter or and at least to have something that says 
Um, I fought hard for it or it didn't come through or some messages around why, what's missing that makes you less of an ideal candidate. And I find that's the part where a lot of leaders fall down. They just avoid that message of you did a lot, but you didn't do as much as somebody else. Right. And it's like, you know, you need to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And man, when you want to know that, so by not telling them, you're doing them a disservice. Okay. Okay. All right. So we've got this notion that I have to pay attention to timing, both for raise and promotion, um, that I want to know something about, I've done my homework. You know, what is it that I've done? I want to do it when I've had a big win. I want to ask non-yes, no questions. When would be a good time to review? What would it take? Um, what does it, an ideal candidate look like? Those sorts of questions. So I've done my homework. Anything else in this that we need to know? You have to have the courage. (laughs) Just think, you know, if an 18-year-old person can do this, you can do it as well. I mean, it's kind of funny. Maybe she takes after me, but when I was 20, um, I worked in a law firm. And uh, this is how, you know, I'll date myself. I was making $130 a week as a file clerk. And I went into my boss, the lawyer, and I asked for a raise. And I asked him for $140 a week. And he immediately said, yes. And then of course, I was like, oh, thank you. And I left and I'm like, why didn't I ask for more, right? (laughs) So when you're going in for your ask, you know, have the courage and do your homework and, and don't feel like you can't ask for too much. Ask for what you believe you deserve. And, you know, it's a negotiation. Maybe you won't get it all, but you're certainly not going to get more if you were, if you were like me and you only asked for a, a little tiny bit. tiny bit. Is there a rule of thumb of how much to expect? You know, like companies are not as comfortable frequently in giving people a big bonk from one step to the next step all in one go. They're going to phase it out over a couple of years. Um, do, is there a rule of thumb about how much you should expect at any one cycle? Well, I think there's no rules anymore, but like in the old days, like 18 months ago, you know, if you got a 4% raise, you were doing pretty well, <laughs> you know, that's why it's so important when you're coming into a role to get all you can up front. Right, right. Yeah, I often say to people, your biggest negotiation is before you accept the offer. So don't be afraid to negotiate at that moment so that you're happy with what you've gotten. And don't all right. with yourself. Staying with this, yeah, that's right. That's right. Staying with this notion of careers and moving forward in my careers, the next biggest question I get all the time is I'm bored. I'm ready for something new. I want to move on to another job, another group, another department area, maybe not leave the company, but I'm afraid I don't want my boss to know I'm looking. So, and, you know, there's some cautiousness in this. Some bosses don't take that very kindly. So what's your advice? How do we get our managers prepared for the fact that we're looking for a bigger responsibility? Well, I think we have to involve them and make them feel like they're part of this, right? And that they're going to be the ones who are going to help us get to this new position within the company. Um, I think most bosses are smart enough to know that if they don't let their little birds fly, they're going to leave the nest and find a whole nother nest somewhere else. So it's really, you know, approaching it collaboratively and, you know, Hey, you know, these, these are my hopes. These were my hopes and dreams when I took this job, 
you know, I've accomplished some of them, but here's really what I want to do, and I need your help. Okay. So framing it not in, here's the job I want, but framing it in is here's my next growth opportunity or my interest or the kind of things that I want to achieve. How can you help me get there? Which includes how can we do that where we are or who can you introduce me to or what can I add to my set? Or I often sometimes think you, the extracurricular activities that you take on the extra projects and so on often lead to more avenues than you realized. As long as they're important ones, you know, like I used to make the mistake of, you know, volunteering to bake the brownies. Like, I don't think that really helped my career, right? Right, right. You want the juicy projects. The the important ones, the ones that you care about, that you have some passion behind and that are going to make a difference for the company. Okay. Um, How do you know when it's time to move on, Roberta? When you don't want to go to work anymore, right? When you get up and you're like, oh, it's another day. It's like, you know, I get up every day and I'm just really excited. I'm happy to start my day. I love what I do. You know, when that day comes, when I'm like, oh, my God, I don't think I can get out of bed. That's the day I know I need to stop. And and that's the same for anyone. If, if you're getting, you know, if it's Sunday evening and you're like, oh, my Lord, another week, it's time for a change. Okay. Um. Granted, we all have periods in time where we have those weeks where we say, oh, my gosh, but you're talking about sustained over and over and over again because your performance is going to start to decline at that moment if you stay in that position. Are there markers for when your boss has had enough of you and it's time for you to begin looking for another job? Oh, yes. Um, I wrote about that in my book, Suddenly in Charge, and uh, you know, I wrote about the signs that your time is up and You know, it's like when you used to be in the conference room and now you're outside looking in, right? Because you're not invited to these important meetings anymore. And, uh, you know, your boss used to respond rapidly to any of the texts or questions. And now it could be like, you know, a month later when you get a reply and you ask your coworkers, you know, hey, what's up? Are you finding that, you know, Marie is slow to get back to you? And they're like, no, what are you talking about? So um, when, you, when you're no longer, you know, in the loop and you used to be all the time. Okay. That's assuming you were in the loop in the beginning mm-hmm. and assuming that your peers are not feeling out of the loop as well. So you got you to check this out because bosses all go through periods where they're just crazy and can't respond to anybody. That's true. Okay. So when you're not in the loop. All right. Fair enough. Um, it strikes me, Roberta, this is a perfect place for a break. So my guest today is Roberta Matwison, and the book that we've been talking about is Can We Talk? The Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Work Conversations. Now, we've been talking about difficult conversations in terms of those asking for a raise and asking for promotion or telling people that they're not going to get a raise or not getting a promotion or recognizing that your time is up, those sorts of conversations. There's a whole lot of other conversations that we want to cover when we come back having to do with difficult messages um, of different sorts. So we'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? 
For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Roberta Matwison. The book that we're talking about is Can We Talk? The Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Work Conversations. Now, we've been talking about it in terms of the difficulty of asking for a raise or promotion or telling somebody they're not going to get a raise or not going to get a promotion or realizing that your time is up and it's time to move on. And in those, the principles have been around looking at the timing, when's the right timing to ask or to talk about it particularly when there's been a big win that you've been responsible for. We've been talking about doing your homework so that you know what you deserve. That helps boost your confidence as well as gets your ammunition for what to ask for. And we've been talking about the fact that you never want to ask a closed question. You want to ask an open-ended question as in when would be a good time and what can you put on the table to offer for the additional work that I'm doing? Ask it in an open-ended way. Now, I want to shift and talk about a completely different kind of difficult conversations at work. And the second set that plagues people and probably takes up 80% of my coaching time has to do with peers. Peers more frequently than a manager, quite honestly. And so let's take the case, the hypothetical case, um, Roberta, that we have a peer that I feel like is just not doing the right things And let's say we're trying to collaborate on something or I'm dependent on that peer for an outcome 
and I feel like they're not doing what they need to do. And I might even beginning to think that that peer is working, taking actions that work against me, maybe even intentionally. How do I have that? Who do I have that conversation with? And how do I have that conversation? Those are great questions. You know, you have to sort of look at it. And first and foremost, you have to remember you're not their boss. So if somebody's just irritating and uh, you notice that they're slacking off, but it's not impacting you, then that's something that your boss needs to take care of, not you. But if it's impacting you, which it often is, right? Because if you're collaborating and your partner doesn't do their share, you can't do your part right. And so, you know, I always recommend that people start off by using the words, you know, I feel. Mm-hmm. Nobody can tell you how you feel is wrong, right? So it's like, you know, I feel like, you know, you're not really fully in this project. Um, and then followed by, you know, by that I mean, and then providing specific examples, And Mm -hmm. I always tell my coaching clients to think about, you know, what would be in the other person's best interest? Like, why would they want to honor your request? And it might be, you know, you know, I know you really are looking for a promotion and I would love to see you get this promotion. And, you know, if we can get this project done in a big way, I think that's really going to help you. So, you know, trying to frame it in a positive way so that that other person is like, yeah, yeah, I think I could do that, you know. Right. What if there's a lot of style differences between the two of us as peers? So let's say, I'm going to take a trivial example. I'm a planner and my peer is a last minute person. <laughs> or maybe I'm an extrovert and my peer is more of an introvert. And so we, we, we've just got really differences in style of working. And yeah, that can create a lot of tension particularly when we both got a lot on the line and there's a deadline and a lot more extra work to do. What's your advice on those kind of situations? Well, I don't think you're going to change the other person. So you're going to have to change your own expectations. So, you know, if you're a planner, you could offer to set up a schedule, right? And just say, you know, hey, I find it really helpful if we can put up a schedule for when we're going to get things done. This way, we both know when we're going to get our parts and we can get the work done. How does that sound? Um, if it's, you know, somebody's an introvert, I doubt very sincerely that you're going to be changing them to an extrovert. And so, you know, you have to let people be who they are and meet them where they are. So you're saying in effect, what I want to do is adapt my own expectations as well as adapt some of my behaviors that give me a part of what I'm looking for. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, what if I think that peer is actually trying to sabotage? So I think now there's a bigger, you know, the motivation is higher and, well, take it from there. What do I do then? Well, you want to make sure you're not paranoid. Mm -hmm. Now, I would agree with you. There are some people out there that are sabotaging. So not everyone who works with someone like that is crazy, right? So, but I would, first of all, just like do a check and balance with maybe a coworker and like, is it me? Like, have you noticed this? Like, you know, sort of, sort of get that perspective. Um, I might also suggest that you have a conversation with your boss and just say, you know, can you give me some guidance? You know, I get this feeling like this is going on. Have you observed this as well? And what suggestions might you have for me when I'm talking to my coworker and just get that guidance. 
Um, Your boss may say, yeah, I've noticed that a lot. Let me take care of this. So, Right. I, um, this is a tricky one with a boss because the boss may agree with you that there is sabotage and the boss may completely disagree with you the sabotage and you're never thanked for labeling somebody as a saboteur either. That doesn't usually go over very well. So I always think you have to be careful with this one. Sometimes it's true, but you still have to be careful. But I like your thing where you say to the boss, I need some advice. This relationship isn't working the way that I would like it to work. You don't have to put a label on it. You can just say it's not going as smoothly as I would like it to go. I need your advice on what I can do. And I think that usually keeps you out of hot water under any circumstances. Now, what's your reaction? I I think that's great advice. You know, so much of communication is going to be, you know, like we talked about earlier, like who you are and where you're from. You know, I personally, I prefer a more direct approach, right? But that doesn't mean that approach is what somebody else feels will use and feel authentic about using. So I think every situation is so unique that, you know, there are sometimes you do have to call a spade a spade, right? (laughs) And other times I think, you know, not naming it, I think that works as well. So you're going to have to really assess like what's really going on here. And how important is a label? Right, right. And I like your notion that you check with other people and get their perception of what's happening because often your peers are seeing it or have experienced it. And that's a good bellwether for your own paranoia or labeling or concerns or whatever the case may be. You know, it's interesting that you should mention that, Wanda, because I had a boss one time who um, treated me differently. But, you know, I honestly, I didn't notice it. And my coworkers were like, are you kidding me? Like, she comes down on you all the time. I, I, was, so, I was like clueless. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> but they all noticed, like, she treats you, she doesn't treat you like she treats us and not in a good way. And so that was really very, uh, that was an awakening for me. So what did you do in that case? Because now it's not a peer and, you know, that I feel conversation is a little trickier. It's a boss. What do you do with that? Well, in this situation, she and I, you know, she was not the person that hired me. She was the person who came in. I was hired and then my boss left like three weeks later and we never saw eye to eye. And so it was pretty clear to me that, you know, I needed to move on. Another one of those signals that it's time to move on. (laughs) Yes. This is a non-trivial one. I I see this a a lot of times. Um, You had a boss that you worked with in very close synchrony. You were on the same page, executing the same strategy, really in agreement on style. That boss leaves, Mm -hmm. sometimes encouraged to leave because the focus that they were having is not necessarily what the organization wanted to have. A new person comes in frequently with the directive to shake things up. And you're a tad bit suspect from the new boss's point of view because you were so close to the old boss. So you're already on a back foot, okay? And I think you've got a finite period of time to make a decision of, am I really backing that new boss? Am I going to get with the new program and shift my style and my emphasis? Or am I still sort of defending the old territory? Um, and it's that's a tough one, you know, to kind of, what do you think and what are you willing to do and what do you believe is the right thing to do for you and for the organization? Yeah, I mean, it is always tough when you get a new boss, right? You got to figure out 
is this somebody that I can even work with? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always say to my clients, <clears throat> give them a chance. And if you find like you're not compatible, there's no law that says you have to stick around 90 days, right? right. <laughs> you know, you can go and, and, and look for a different opportunity if it's not right. But you might find out that this person is the best boss you'll ever have. Right. Could be. But I do think you have to get on board to decide that I'm backing what this boss is trying to do or else suffer some of the consequences accordingly or take your chances that you can ride them out. I guess that's always an option. All right. Let's talk about this. You know, the word I hear a lot of times, bully. Um, I think we often use bully too frequently when what we're really meaning to say is that that person is overly aggressive for my style and for my preference. And sometimes we get real bullies that are really trying to put you down and they're going to find somebody to pick on and actively put down and make feel very small intentionally. And that's what gives them sort of, that's what I would define as a real bully. But suppose I have a peer or a manager for that matter, who is a bit of a bully. What can I do? What should I say? What are my steps? (laughs) <laughs> well, you described the woman I was just telling you about. <clears throat> don't do like me. Like, don't spend your nights going to a meditation class so you can make it through the next day. Um, you know, you, you've got to know yourself and you've got to just say to yourself, you know, do I really need to put up with this? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you do, right? You have to feed your family. You do have to put up with this until you can get out. But you know, this person will crush your self-esteem. I mean, they'll, by the time you get out of there, you'll, you'll need therapy for the next few years. And I can tell you from experience, <laughs> but you can do like I did and write a book about her and uh, <laughs> just change the name and, and you'll be right. fine. So um, they're out there. They're definitely out there. And, and if you think you're working for one, um, don't let other people convince you you're really not. <laughs> Okay. Where do you go? Are there sources that you found or have found are helpful? I mean, should I go to HR? Should I talk to a mentor? Do I talk to my peers? What are your recommendations? I was HR, so that was a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I talked to myself a lot. And as good as I was, I couldn't sort this one out. Um, You know, It's good to talk to your peers, right? Because if they're experiencing what you're experiencing, you can collectively go to HR or to your boss's boss, you know, together. And there's a lot more power in all of you going rather than you're just making a beeline. So, um, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, talking to a coach. Like, I don't know, I don't know your situation, Wanda, but a lot of times people come to me for coaching um, because they do have challenges with their boss and they're trying to figure out do I stay or do I go and you know having someone to talk to and think through all the pluses and minuses can be very beneficial yeah I do that a lot of times with people and we're evaluating whether they should stay or they should go and I I often say I want to see you make a few changes in your own reactions and responses and behaviors let's see what you get and then make a decision to stay or to go. But you want to be sure that, I mean, that's a way of testing too, how serious is this behavior? Or is it something that I can begin to tweak by, by changing my own processes? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Very true. 
Um, I've talked to um, Lynn Curry, for example, who's a specialist on this one, and she says that when you think you're dealing with a bully, you should document absolutely everything that's said on any occasion. Not like I'm going to send an email to people, but that I keep a record of exactly what was said on what occasion and what you did accordingly. So that if there's ever any doubt, there's some documentation. What's your view on that one? Useful or not useful? I think it's very useful. And if nothing else, you'll, if you read it just yourself, you'll see the pattern, right? And you, so many times I find we're like, you know, uh, you know, am I overreacting? Am I crazy? Right. But when it's written down and I'm like, oh my gosh, she really said that or oh, this really happened? Like, you, you've got, like, notes, right? And, and it becomes, like, a book. <laughs> but, I mean, the point is, it's like, if you need it, it's there. And if you don't need it, no harm. Right. I think that's an important point, that if you keep that sort of detailed journal, you can go back and see the patterns. Patterns in what you said, patterns in what has worked, patterns what's not working, the repetition, so on. All right. What about the case where the boss is demanding more than you can achieve? And let's assume that you've already done the case of saying, boss, this is too much. And you're getting the messages back. I know exactly what we just got to keep going. You're not getting an awful lot of empathy for you can't do all of this. And if I add pressure to that one, let's say you're also pushing for a promotion, but it's still too much. So you're afraid to say I can't do it because you're afraid you won't get the promotion, but it's too much work. What's your advice there? Well, I think you have to go to your boss and you have to lay it out and just say, you know, look, which is the priority? I can get this done or I can get that done. I can't get them both done. Which do you, which of these two items do you want done? That's it. You know, (laughs) like you got to lay it out there. Like, you, and a lot of times, you know, you, people are working in matrix organizations. And so the other manager, like, meaning you have more than one manager. And so they don't know that another manager just dumped a big project on your lap and then another manager is still waiting. And so sometimes you have to come together and just, you know, bring the three of them together and say, look, guys, you've, you've all offloaded these three major projects. I need you to come to agreement what's the priority here. And I will focus on that and we will get that done. Right, right. I know sometimes those matrix managers don't speak well together. There's a lot of tension (laughs) between the two of them and a lot of, you know, I want you more for my time and less for their time. So there's some tension there to manage. But there's, um, I have also seen people uh, take time to plot out what's all the work that I and my team are doing and how much time are each of the processes steps? Because I find managers often don't understand what's really involved in getting a task done. So they believe it should be done in far less time than it's actually <laughs> going to get done. So do you find that that's a helpful process? Yes, I do. I mean, you know, because you're so great and you seem to get things done, they think that you can get them done even quicker. And that's not the reality. So well, just being able to explain like what's involved in this process and why maybe, you know, right now we've got what all these supply chain issues. So if you're in manufacturing and you're waiting for a part to come in, you can't possibly finish this project. So mm-hmm. it's all about communication. I'm guilty of this with my staff. I have, and anybody who's worked for me can, can call in and say, yes, verify. This is absolutely true of Wanda. But in my mind, the steps will be one, two, three. 
and I will have even an idea of what might go wrong, but I've only got one thing that might go wrong. And what I'm missing is there's actually eight steps and seven things that go wrong. So I don't really have the full picture. So then I never understand why does it take so long and why did we get stalled at this particular point? So some explanation might be helpful. Um, What do we do when it's the boss's behavior that's causing problems for you? And you would like to go in and tell the boss, here exactly is what you are doing and stop doing it if you want me to be effective. Um, Probably that's not the best way to have the conversation. So how do we have that conversation when it's upwards around a behavior that isn't working? Well, we call that managing up, right? And and suddenly in charge, half the book is on this topic of managing up. And again, it's always like, you know, what's in it? What's in the best interest of the other person? Like if I'm making a request, what would compel them to change their behavior? And so, um, you know, maybe you're in a situation where the work you're doing isn't very challenging, and your boss is just giving you grunt work. And, and if you're able to go in and say, hey, listen, you know, there's some other things that I can do. And if you can give me those items, that's going to free you up, boss, to think more strategically and actually get home on time, you know, to be with your family once a week. And mm-hmm. so you just have to really, you know, put things in a way that the other person would be like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. Okay. All right, so we're thinking about the actions the boss is taking, something else that I want differently, and I'm going to frame that in a way that the boss sees the benefit for the boss of changing the behavior. Mm -hmm. What if I have a boss whose style of working is just not working for me? So this is not a simple adjustment. This is just, let's say, the boss's last minute or they change their mind, or they ask me to do the presentation. And once they see the presentation that I put together, then they reorganize it completely differently because they didn't really know what they wanted. And I mean, there's a whole host of ways in which the boss's style just doesn't suit mine. What do I do in those cases? You find another job because you are not going to change their behavior. You You can only be responsible for your own behavior. And if that doesn't work for you, if you, if, if you're like, you know, for example, I was never really like, I was always a big idea person. I wasn't really a detail oriented mm-hmm. person. And when I had bosses try to make me do these detailed reports on nonsense, you know, it was then that I realized like, no, that's not the right fit for me. And so you will never change their behavior. So you're going to have to either accept it and step up and become more like what they want, or you're going to need to step out. Okay, I love that. Accept it and step up or step out. Um, I recently talked with a senior long-term client who had been in a very senior position and found that she, in this case, was doing lots and lots and lots of detailed reports. You know, the 55th version of a PowerPoint presentation, and I'm only slightly exaggerating because the consequences were high and the details mattered and that's how the boss was and so on, did the 55th presentation and then said, look, I can keep doing this, but I don't love it and you shouldn't be paying me to do this because this is not my real skill set. And that led to a really mutual, positive conclusion of it was time to move on and good graces for moving on. So 
there's sometimes a need to deliver and put up with it and then decide when's the moment at which I call it quits. I totally agree. Okay. All right. Um, How about delivering bad news to a boss? So I've worked really hard at this. I've tried. It isn't working. We're not going to hit that deadline or we're not going to hit those numbers or the target or the client is really upset. You're not going to get what you want, boss. How do I deliver that message? Well, hopefully you've been communicating all along, right? Like, we're not going to hit this deadline. Like, we're, we're still waiting for accounting to give us this number or sales, you know, they're having a hard time compiling the data and we're still waiting. I mean, if you keep your boss informed, these conversations, when you go in and you're like, there's no way you're going to have that report for the CEO on Monday. You know, I've been, I've been sharing that with you over the last three days and I have no other way to get this information and unless you can do that. So, right. I had a senior manager say to me, I will take bad news, but I want to know that you've done absolutely everything possible before you come to me with the bad news. And I think that's the same as the vein of what you're saying here in that I'm steadily informing people about the progress and about the obstacles and about what isn't working so that there's not a complete surprise at the last minute. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Roberta, two minutes to go. My favorite question, what takes you out of your comfort zone and how do you succeed? What takes me out of my comfort zone? Um, Well, I would say like trying a new sport, which I recently started. I recently started to play pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) And I am not an athletic person. So for me, I was like, okay, I don't know how this is going to go. But uh, I have probably played uh, 45 days straight now, and I think I'm pretty good. Okay. So, I, you know, I, I took it on as a challenge, not being athletic, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to keep getting out there and hitting that ball and see what happens. And I think just, you know, being consistent and getting out there every day and doing your best is really very valuable. Okay. Any advice for getting over that moment of – it, well, it's courage. You labeled it courage at the beginning where I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed or I'm afraid I'm not going to be very good at it or I'm afraid it's going to go badly wrong or whatever it is that we, the scenarios that we turn in our head. Any advice for getting over that hump of the courage to just to go give it a go? Oh, yes. I mean, I had that moment when after my husband and I learned how to play, we got off the court and somebody said, oh, we need one more person. And I was like, oh, it's not going to be me. And then I said to myself, you know what? It's going to be you. That's it. You're just going to go do it. And, and it's really just stepping in and just go do it. You know, as long as nobody had a gun on that court, like no one's shooting at you. And so, you know, just go do it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right. Easy to say after you've gone to do it. Not so easy always to say in the front end of it. All right. Roberta, great fun. Um, my guest today is Roberta Matwison. Um, She is a professional speaker, thought leader on talent, and she's an international bestseller. And I will remind you, she has over 250,000 business professionals on LinkedIn who follow her as an active base. The book that we've been talking about today is Can We Talk? The Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Work Conversations. As you can see from this conversation that we've talked about, a range of different scenarios and how to do it, there's... This technique, these techniques apply in so many situations. And I think the couple of principles are one, it takes some courage. 
Two, it takes some prep on your own part. Three, it takes constantly checking in with peers to collect, to calibrate where am I sitting and are other people seeing what I'm seeing? And I think there's also some points to recognize you can't change every situation and decide if it's worth the battle or not worth the battle. And I think the last point, my favorite point out of all of this is you're not going to change the other person. All you can do is change how you're reacting or how you're, what you're doing and hope that that leads to a better outcome. So, Roberta, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. If you like this episode, please like us on your favorite podcast player. We'd like to see those good ratings coming in. And if you'd like to know more about how to apply this and other principles, then check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. See you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.